Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. Um, and this argument does not argue that it's the Christian God or whatever. It's simply saying the conclusion is there has to be a necessary being. Aquinas said that's what I mean by God, but that's, that comes from other sources. One simple answer would be, but we have to go through more. For, one simple answer would be, we believe that God's the creator, and this seems to be consistent with that, for one thing. And we, we fill in the, what this necessary being is by using our religious faith in scriptures, and it's consistent with that. So there's no inconsistency. Now, the third one, the third option is, against this argument is to say, maybe, maybe the universe somehow caused itself to exist. That's known as causa sui in Latin. And um, self-caused. That's caused by the self. Causa sui. The cause was natural. Somehow the universe caused itself into existence. Do you know that this word, causa sui, self-caused, is a logical contradiction? You can't be, nothing can cause itself to exist. The universe can't cause itself to exist is the answer to this because it would have to exist first to cause itself to exist. It's a logical contradiction of terms. The word makes absolutely no sense. You can say, as in number two, that the universe is self-existing, except the Big Bang would refute that, but you can't say the universe is self-caused. Self-caused is used by people, theologians, they say God is self-caused, the and the atheists say the universe is self-caused, and they don't seem to clue in that it. it's a logical fallacy. Self-caused means you exist to cause yourself before you exist. The word is meaningless. So number three doesn't make any sense. Now, here's the main theory from, from the physicists, the fourth option. If it's not God, then what the heck created the universe? Well... Toe did. T-O-E, as in you're big. And you know what T-O-E means? The theory of everything. Quantum theory of gravity. The theory of everything. That's what caused it. So, you have people like Stephen Hawking assuring you that before he dies, we'll all be wearing a t-shirt with the theory of everything on our chest. The toe theory, which explains why Everything is as it is. Because what it does, it explains gravity, supposedly. No one knows what it is yet. There are four basic fundamentals in life, in, in physics and in chemistry. Gravity, electromagnetism, strong nuclear forces, and weak nuclear forces. And we have, the theory of everything is going to reconcile those four fundamentals that make up all life. 
gravity, electromagnetism, strong and weak nuclear forces. The physicists are working themselves to death trying to find the theory of everything. So their argument is the universe was caused by some kind of an equation, some kind of a physical law called the theory of everything, which is a quantum theory of gravity. See, we can't reconcile gravity with quantum physics. So this is like reconciles all we know in science. Now, without going into blinding detail, the argument against this theory of everything is to say, naively, I can say this and say, if you physicists believe that the universe was created by this theory, this, this somehow, remember now, a theory is not a thing. It simply describes what happens. So how can there be a theory existing without it being in somebody's mind? Like, it, like who created the theory is my question. But that, that then destroys their, their argument. Like they simply say, somehow the universe created itself or came into existence with this quantum theory of gravity, this theory of everything, and that explains it all. The problem is, as they know, it doesn't explain anything. I don't get this, why they're looking for this so desperately. There's books called The Theory of Everything. There's all kinds of talk about this. I must be missing something fundamental, although I once just put away all my books and studied physics for five years just to figure some of this stuff out, because like, it's complicated, but it's, it's here. Here we go. The Theory of Everything... The simple answer to that is, well, who created the theory? It has to be something intelligent, powerful, amazing. If our greatest minds, including Einstein, who died trying to solve this theory, before, he died before he could, Hawking can't solve it, no one seems to be able to solve what this theory of everything is. Even if we had this theory of everything, the simple question is, where did it come from? Why do we have this theory and not another theory? It seems to imply a very powerful mind that, that has this theory inside. Maybe that's how God created. Like, it doesn't hurt my argument for God. It almost makes it better. It's saying that, that ha okay, there's a theory of everything, a quantum theory of gravity. Before there were physical laws of chemistry and physics, something had to create all of this because, you know, before the Big Bang, there was nothing. Nothing, 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 according to science not even space and time. There was no theory just sitting there waiting to come into existence. Like It came into existence with the Big Bang. This doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense, but like I say, we can read Stephen Hawking and look at all these people that think this is a solution. The simple answer is this theory, if it exists, only explains the universe if it's in something's mind, and that something has to be pretty powerful and pretty wise. And that's what we mean by God. So thank you for that theory. Uh, we'll take it. It sounds like a good option. Um, I think God created with the word, though, not with the theory. But, you know, if we want the theory, we can explain it that way, too. And here's another one. Maybe, say, a lot of people, David Hume, H-U-M-E, major, major skeptic in the 1700s, 18th century, maybe the universe simply came into existence by chance. Just good luck. It just came into chance, came into existence by chance. Now, that's what you do when you don't know what to say, I think. The simple answer to that is, tell me what chance is. Is chance a theory? Is chance a reason? You know what chance is? It's either saying, if you say something happens by chance, it means one of two things. It means, first of all, 
It came about by chance. That means there's no cause. But we've already looked at that one and said, how can something not have a cause? Or chance means, what it really means is that it's a hidden cause. And that just, what is it then? You're not telling me this. It may be true. It may be a good option. This is enough to cause some people to remain atheistic and say, maybe the universe simply came into existence by chance, an unknown cause. Maybe it came about by a green cow from Pluto, too. But what I'm saying is, it's not explaining anything. It's telling me, for all I know, the universe came about by chance. I've got evidence that there's a God that exists. I think I've got a stronger case than somebody saying, for all I know, it came about by chance. But that's to be weighed by you. Um, I think this argument is almost unassailable, except... These these criticisms are taken seriously by the people who put them forth. They're nobody's fools, so we have to take them seriously. And this one, this last one, is, I think it's profound, actually. Like, this one makes you, it's tough. Uh, this goes back to David Hume as well in the 18th century. Maybe, he says, the word cause, yes, everything has to have a cause. He was aware of the principle of sufficient reason, or at least a version of it. But maybe... When you say the universe has a cause, it doesn't really mean the same thing as you and I are caused by this or caused by that. Now, this is called the logical fallacy of equivocation, just so you know, right? That we're using the word cause in two different senses completely. Cause for me means that I'm an agent, I cause the pen to drop, but the universe comes into existence without a cause. The pen just drops without a cause. This is philosophical. God knows if I were a philosopher, an atheistic philosopher like the rest of the world listens to, you'd be told the cosmological argument fails to prove that God exists because, of course, the word cause doesn't apply to the universe. Well, my naive answer would be like, why doesn't it apply to the universe? Why not? Like, how can you say that the principle of sufficient reason, that everything has a cause, doesn't apply to the biggest thing of all, the universe? It's profound. We could have a philosophical debate, me and an atheist, and uh, he'd be saying, this is the bottom line. Maybe the word cause doesn't apply. I'm not learning anything from this. Like, if it doesn't apply, then I'm not just sure what they're trying to say. So that's all there is to this. Um, if you want to see all this, you, you've already got all this written down, but just, just in case you didn't, that's, these are the criticisms. Um, well, I better give you, don't, don't look at that top one, that the universe has uh, no cause, the universe is eternal, self-existing, got all that stuff. These are the alternatives to God being the cause, that the cause was natural, the universe caused itself, and I'm saying that's contradictory, that the cause was a theory, the toe theory, the universe is caused by chance, whatever that means. That's just basically a hidden cause or no cause. And the word cause doesn't apply to the universe. The obvious one is the one that was asked. I mean, how does this help, let's say, a Christian theist or a Muslim theist? How does this argument help? All it's saying, it looks like, using modal logic, is that contingent beings need a necessary being to explain ourselves. The universe is contingent. The universe is not necessary. 
The universe didn't cause itself. The universe is caused by something. We can't go back infinitely. The universe did begin. So what explains it besides a necessary being? Now notice I said necessary being rather than necessary cause because it seems to me that whatever caused the universe has, has, has profound godlike characteristics, powerful, intelligent, conscious, aware, probably loving, but at least the powerful and the... Like, you can't cause something as huge as a universe unless you have godlike qualities. It seems to be consistent and coherent with what we mean by God. That's the argument. And the only arguments against it, I've not held anything back. These are the arguments against it. The universe has no cause. The universe uh, uh, came about by chance, some hidden cause. Maybe the word cause doesn't apply to the universe. Those are all pretty profound, especially the last one. But I don't think, they're, I don't think they really hurt this argument. Now, there are some, there are some other, other things like, well, if God's the first cause, who caused God? Let's just... Let's make sure we've got this one right, because children ask this question. If it all began with God, then who caused God? Well, if God was caused by something, then that wasn't God. The something was God. God is self-existing by definition. That other than which nothing can be conceived. It's the most perfect, that than which nothing greater can be conceived. Nothing greater can be conceived as a necessary being. If God were a contingent being being caused by something else, it would be a contingent being. Uh, God is the greatest conceivable being. God must be necessary. I'm just saying by logic alone, there has to be something necessary or else the contingency wouldn't exist. There'd be dead nothing right now. Empty space, no universe, no people. If there wasn't a necessary being, there'd be nothing. That's one of Aquinas' versions of this. Look around. And he says, think about if there's no necessary being, how can there be anything at all except nothing? But there is something, therefore there must be a necessary being. One of the criticisms challenges the principle of sufficient reason. It's saying that maybe some things don't have a cause. And I'm saying everybody believes in the principle of sufficient reason, whether you like it or not, so to challenge it makes no sense. The universe has to have a cause. This one, why can't you have an infinite regress? Well, the simple answer is now. You can't just assume the universe goes on forever. The evidence now is in that there was a Big Bang, um, that it did start. And by the way, Aquinas in, 13, in the 13th century didn't know that the universe was created scientifically by the Big Bang. You know, he thought the universe could be infinite. If you can imagine that, just think for a moment. I want to show you how profound theism can be in, in Aquinas. This is why he's considered the greatest theologian by most people. Thomas, he had a lot of mistakes. And by the way, the greatest theologian of all time, probably Aquinas. There could be others. Augustine is a good, is a good shot at maybe the even greater, but Aquinas certainly did some serious work. He filled the library with books. Do you know that at the end of his life, he had a religious vision and, and like of God's existence, a personal feeling of God's presence that was so profound that he thought that his whole life had been wasted writing all of these books, and he died at 50, like he just dropped dead. It, it was like, what's the point of all this intellectual stuff when all I need is to feel the presence of God? But he did all this good work for us. It's a shame. 
He wrote hymns and died. Like that's what he did in his last few months. It's, it, it, we're still reading his stuff. It's just, Peter Creep, by the way, has a book trying to summarize what Aquinas said about everything because it's just so important. It, it's the official Roman Catholic theology too, this Aquinas stuff. This is this one's our best, but it gets it gets a little complicated when we do the next one, because this one's saying, why does anything exist at all? Yeah. The next one says, why is there order? Like why is like, and then we're going to say because well, there's intelligent design. There's all these coincidences that if they didn't happen, over a hundred of them, if they didn't happen, there wouldn't be any life, and you, none of them should exist. But they all exist. Like the ratio between matter and antimatter, oxygen and hydrogen, all this stuff. One one little decimal point, and nothing exists, and yet they all exist. That one's a little more iffy, but that's the new intelligent design argument called anthropic, which some people say all this evolution is all fluke, because they don't have to worry about where did it come from. Now they say it's here. Now why is it ordered? Like who ordered it? Why is it not just chaos? It's a little more controversial, but boy, it's powerful because it uses scientific evidence for all these coincidences instead of theological stuff. Of it's saying here's your evidence. This is. Why is the ratio between heavy oxygen and oxygen like if you, it's one out of ten to the eight thousand zeros? Like, why? Do you know when the Earth flies around? My favorite one. It's uh, the Earth is flying around orbit around the Sun. Every eighteen miles, it deviates by one ninth of an inch. One eighth of an inch, we burn up. One tenth, one tenth of an inch, we fly off into frozen space. One ninth of an inch every eighteen miles. That's weird. And that's one coincidence out of hundreds that explains why we are here. And it, it, you could say, well, just good luck, over and over. Yeah. But two or three or four or five, we're winning the lottery like every time. <laughs> it's really impressive stuff. They're smothering this stuff in science class because it, it just destroys, uh, you know, blind evolution. And it's, it's just, well, the, it, it, a lot of people do believe in modal logic as just a neutral and. and Contingency needs are necessary. It needs an eternal. It needs something that isn't contingent. That's the best argument. What helps, though? Like, if you think too much about what the heck did God do for an eternity? What can we do for an eternity? It's not like God's sitting around. There's before the there's the universe. There is nothing except God. But heaven's not going to be looking at your watch. That's you know <laughs> church time. And like, it's not. It, it, there's no time and space in that sense. It's it's like eternity's different. Another dimension. Like it, it scared me as a child, thinking, "My God, eternity! That's a long, long time." <laughs> and that's one argument against heaven. This class has stressed deliberately um, trying to justify our religious beliefs through reason, avoiding logical fallacies. That's what reason is: avoiding inconsistencies, trying to be coherent, looking for evidence scientific, whatever, all kinds of evidences. We focused on that, and I think that's legitimate. I have no doubt it is. That's the basic way that we justify religious beliefs. We use reason, those tests that Leffel gave us. It should be coherent, consistent, logical, rational, avoid logical fallacies. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a legitimate approach. In this 20th century, though, we have two other approaches. The second one, you remember, was called evidentialism. Now, that one I don't think works um, quite, quite as well anymore. Um, there are still lots of people out there who, if they were teaching the class or writing about it for, for a book, they would say, instead of using reason and logic, 
Like what we're doing now is, is, is seriously difficult stuff. Using our rational abilities to try to justify belief in God. Those theistic proofs, those arguments for God's existence are not for children. They're, they're difficult. Um, and, and we've just looked at the surface version of these things. So a lot of people think that they're too rational. Not many people are going to understand them. So maybe a better way to do apologetics or justified belief is this evidentialist way. Just look for the evidence, scientific, um, historical, archaeological. There's all kinds of evidence for religious belief that isn't based on all kinds of rational, um, uh, obscure, abstract proofs for God's existence. Um, now, the evidentialists in the last hundred years have been focusing on, on miracles. Um, you know, when you say Christianity, the word miracle comes up, unlike any other religion. Christianity is based on belief in miracles. Other religions don't need them. Christianity, though, is based on miracles, especially the resurrection of Jesus, his miracles, the prophecies that he fulfilled. I was just throwing out a number last week. No one knows the exact number. It depends how you count them, but it's at least 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. That's an impossibility. The odds of that are just an infinity to one against. That's, that's miraculous. Christianity is based not just on what we're going to do today, these, these, these rational, abstract proofs that prove that there might be a first cause or a, a great designer or an intelligent designer. These things are pretty abstract. They don't quite get us to the heart of religion. Miracles do. The argument for miracles, remember, the evidentialist approach to apologetics is to is to say that if you can establish, and this is exactly what we'll try to do next week, we'll try to establish that the miracle of the resurrection, the miracle of fulfilled prophecies, the miracle of the healings that Jesus did, in other words, biblical, biblical miracles, isn't Christian evidentialist apologetics, obviously, that these are evidence that, that God exists. Miracles don't happen unless they're performed by God. It's not you and me that perform a miracle. Some faith healers may, may give you that impression, but that's not what's going on. Uh, miracles are performed by God. The reason they're important for Christianity is that it's based on the one major miracle of the resurrection. If Jesus didn't perform that miracle, I can say he performed it if he's divine according to Christian theology. God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the ultimate miracle for a Christian. To deny that, like liberal theologians do in this century, is just, just unbelievably, it's just, it's numbing. It's just hard to understand how they can think that way. But as I was saying last time, they're existentialists. They think that they have to just believe what they feel and not worry about proving it. But they've gone overboard by simply saying, I believe it, but um, I don't know if it happened, but I believe that something happened in my heart and my faith and whatever. And, and that's enough for me. Both are legitimate. Um, we'll look at the, at the evidentialist example of trying to show that miracles are, are viable. The only thing that stands in the way of believing in miracles, quite frankly, are some pretty bad arguments and, and a bias toward naturalism. A bias which says, science doesn't believe in miracles, I believe in science, therefore I don't believe in miracles. It doesn't really get us very far. It's a non-starter. But... Most people do believe in miracles, and science isn't the only source of truth in the world. If you have a belief 
in something like God performs miracles, what you do then, right, is the negative apologetic. You, well, first of all, you do the positive apologetic and you say, here's my evidence, here's my arguments that miracles exist. Basically, it's that God exists, therefore miracles must exist. There's not a problem with that. We'll fill in the details. But then you have to do negative apologetics, negative justification by saying, well, what are the criticisms of my belief in miracles? Okay, classical apologetics is proofs for God's existence. We've got one more to do, the teleological argument. And I'm going to add the anthropic argument, the argument for intelligent design, which is the same thing as the teleological argument. It's the modern version. It's a scientific proof for God's existence. Finally, in the last 50 years, we finally have scientific evidence for God's existence that, that scientists are, are, are looking at seriously. A lot of them, because they have biases against belief in God, don't look too, too deeply. They have a lot of trouble with this, but it's hitting them right in the face that here's something you have to deal with. It's your own evidence. It's the evidence from science, and uh, it's either chance, which are a trillion and one times a trillion, you know, times 10th power. It just goes on. And on. these things, are, it's, it's strong evidence. Classical, classical apologetics then is proofs for God's existence. Evidential apologetics is going to be trying to show that miracles are viable. And once you show that miracles are viable, you have an argument for God's existence because that's the only reason miracles could occur. There's no other known reason. You know, it's interesting that it's only Christians that, that talk about miracles. For, for Islam, the Quran is pretty much the only miracle they, that Muhammad talked about. He's saying the book itself is the miracle. Um, the scripture itself is the miracle. But other religions don't worry so much about it because they're not talking about historical. Um, like Buddha was born a white elephant and on and on, like, you know, these things. But no one takes these things literally. They don't take them as miracles. Because Buddhism, quite frankly, doesn't have early Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism, doesn't believe in God. It, 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 Buddha was an atheist and, uh, and a materialist. He believed there was just matter and there was no God. So there's nobody to perform miracles. So Buddhism, Hinduism, pantheism, all atheism, without a God, there's no miracles. So if you could show that there's a good case that miracles happen, and the best case is probably what, what occurs in the Bible, um, that's a good argument for God's existence. That's the evidential apologetics. Now, here's the third one, the faith-based apologetics. It's usually uh, kind of an existential approach. Existentialists in the last 50, 60 years, since the Second World War, when this movement became very popular in culture and in theology, existentialism is that belief that... that um, well, there's an atheistic version and there's a theistic version, so I'm going to talk about the theistic version, the, the version existentialists who believe in God, Christian existentialism. It's been around since uh, the 1920s, and it dominates theology. It's become what's known as liberal progressive theology. And, and what they do is, is say that uh, we should presume that Christianity is true, no, no amount of argument or evidence is going to convince anybody that doesn't, doesn't believe Christianity already. So why bother? Why bother with arguments that leave people cold? Why bother with all this evidence? What we should do is just believe. Just take your favorite belief. In this case, it's Christianity. And just assume it's true. And, and don't worry about being, uh, about 
rational and, and, and evidential uh, defense. Now, it's a little better than it sounds. Um, this can be abused into an irrationalism. Like some people say, I'm going to believe what I believe. I feel it. I hear the scripture or I read it or somebody tells me about it and I feel that it's true. That's the, that's the existentialist. That's the faith-based approach. I've always believed that they say, this is my belief. I don't know the rational arguments. I don't know the evidence, historical, scientific, all of that stuff. All I need is my belief. Existentialists say it doesn't matter what reason, logic, rationality, science, archaeology, it doesn't matter what these people say. That's all the external world. What matters is what you believe inside. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.